It's Sunday. That means it must be time for the bookworm. Brought to you by FabRadioInternational.com and the Association of Starburst Magazine. I am your gentle host, Ed Fortune, and I'm here with... Russ Smith. On today's show, we'll be talking about book news. I'll be taking a look at Adrian Tchaikovsky's Guns of Dawn. I'll be looking at Paul Cornell's The Severed Streets. Coming up next, we have the book news. Across the world, the real alternative. FabRadioInternational.com Monetized fan fiction generator Wattpad has announced that it's opening a, a romance writing for adults called After Dark. Could you just explain to me, as I go for tangent here, the monetization aspect of that? How does that work? Do you know what? I'm not entirely sure. Is mm. it, it sounds like it's EO3. It sounds like it's a fan fiction style site. Wattpad, yes, I have, I have the app on my phone. But it's, you know, it, it's supposed to be headed towards more generating cash. Ah, it's more yeah. original works than, than fanfic as well, I have to say. It, it's supposed to be like a small press generator fanfiction-y thing, okay. as, as I understand it. It's Is it the next step after you've written your fanfic? It's the next step after you've written your fanfic, ah. is, to, is to give these people your, your fiction rather than going out in the small press on your own. Why you wouldn't go through the normal channels, I don't understand, but... Confidence? Confidence might be it, which I, I'm kind of I against understand. That if, if that's the case, if it's a confidence thing, you're kind of preying on people's lack of confidence, which I'm not entirely... Anyway, this is entirely tangent, we're talking Sorry. about what they're doing. Uh, After Dark uh, will give readers a- access to thousands of romance stories written by published authors and also popular Wattpad writers. It contains content-specific ch- channels, so you can have some queer fiction. If you want some queer fiction, you can have some urban fiction, you can have some fan fiction. Whatever you fancy, it sounds like it will be available. The head of global marketing has said that the, the release of Fifty Shades of Grey oh dear, has sparked an interest in adult romance. So when we say adult romance, what we're actually talking about is smut, isn't it? Smut. Yeah. Smut. Love well, it or hate it, the stuff is selling. The history of media is But you know what, there's smut. some decent smut out there. Mm. I mean, uh, and, and I'd just like to point out at this point that Mills and Boone has always existed, certainly during all of our lifetimes. Yep. And we'll continue to do so. Uh, I have bought the occasional Mills and Boone, and my word, some of them are very steamy. It, it's one of those things, and, and feel free to contact us via social media to, to argue the point, but I would happily argue that the history of publishing is all about the smut, right down to the Gutenberg Bible. The, the pioneers of media technologies are always trying to show you something that's a little bit naughty because human beings are interested in things that are a little bit naughty. We were having this conversation last night, weren't we, at a bit of a gathering and we were talking about the VHS Betamax debate. It's a natural thing. People like smut. So anytime there's a new form of media, the, the cutting edge will be at the people who are generating the smutty stuff. Remember, other than cats, this is what your internet is for. <laughs> Oddly enough, the, I mean, the internet was was designed so people could exchange research notes, but very early, very early e- internet emails were in fact smutty. You'll be unsurprised to learn. It's that we don't talk about it because, you know, we human beings are like that. We, we think that sort of thing is private, so we, we don't talk about it, which Except is fine. Except when we do. Except when we do, <laughs> uh, which, which is fine, but 
I think these things would be perhaps less less remarkable if we just got, got on with it and just went, yeah, naked people are funny. The movie Insurgent, talking about did, something did, else did, entirely... Have you finished the Wattpad story? Have you finished that? I, I'm, trying, I'm trying to move on. Oh, sorry. Because <laughs> <laughs> we've descended into smut very early in the show, which is unusual for us. We normally wait until, you know, five minutes after we've finished. The movie Insurgent is coming out. There's a big screen adaptation coming out. Uh, it'll be out, hit theatres... March 20th, 2015. I'm surprised that they've made another one. No, I'm happy that they have. I I actually, I quite like the the, the Divergent series. I know a lot of people are sniffy about young adult fiction. Yeah, but you know, at $150 million gross domestically, that's that's getting a sequel, isn't it? Um, Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. (laughs) People might be sniffy about it. The critics might be sniffy about it, but if it gets bums on seats, the studio's going to make more. Can't really talk about this without, that, without mentioning Hunger Games at some point. We know mm. how well know how well that's done, and cer- certainly the Hollywood producers are going to be looking uh, looking for a sniff for the, for the next big trilogy. I'm in favour of anything that makes people read any any movie that also makes people go hmm, 1984. What that what's that about? I'm I'm 100 in favour of, and let's be honest, the Hunger Games is very much that. I mean. We've seen a large number of Hunger Games clones, and we've seen quite a quite a a dearth, shall we say, a big big angry box full of terrible terrible dystopian fantasy. And I, you know, I'm not not the biggest fan of bad dystopian fiction. I like a good dystopian story, and there's been a lot of stuff that seems to have avoided those themes to to slam it into a formula. Yeah, there's no reason to do bad dystopia. Except you want to make money. We're not mentioning any Red Queens, but Red Queen, of course, got a movie deal almost straight out of the box. And it's this thing that Hollywood seems to become a much more friendly place for writers these days. Mm. There's more of a desperation, there's more of a desire to turn ideas into movies more quickly. And it's not just, you know, Hollywood has always been running out of ideas. Hollywood has always been desperate for ideas. But there now seems to be a genuine process where you go from comic book to movie. I think it's another side effect of the social media revolution. Uh, When uh, writers and producers are sniffing around for ideas, uh, they just have to sit in front of their computer and um, have have a look at what people are arguing about. And then they go, oh, okay. I mean, the number of comic books that I get thrown at me, which are clearly movie pictures, it's almost every other. Mm. And, you know, you look at certain things, you just become intensely surprised that you've got this 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 weird mix of actual comic book story and movie pitch. Mark Miller does it all the time. Every single thing I've seen by Mark Miller ever since The Ultimates has been a movie pitch. It's kind of a way forward to go now, and it's a fairly legitimate one, because, somebody, because yeah, it, sa- it, saves them a, it saves people a lot of time for going, how do we exactly adapt this to a movie? Oh, you've already done it for us, thank you. Yeah, well, okay, we like this one. Wanted is an example of something that he, he'd sold the first issue and the rights on the back of the first issue. The rest of the wanted comic book by Mark Miller is just completely ridiculous. It's very interesting. There is no way that if they'd have done a direct adaptation of the, um, it wouldn't have been. It wouldn't have been filmable. Is this the same chap who did Kingsman? It is exactly the same chap who did Kingsman. I, I remember sitting there in Kingsman. Um, I saw it in the cinema a few weeks ago. Um, who's written this? <laughs> at a couple of points. And I was like, Mark Miller, Mark Miller, right. clearly Mark Miller. Science fiction is stuff that's already been opted as well. Is Mark Miller kick-ass as well? Yes, he yeah. is. But, he, he, you know, you, you pick up a copy of Wanted and it's got Halle, Halle Berry and Eminem are the two characters who are drawn into the comic book. Literally. 
quite literally, the Ultimates had Samuel Jackson drawn in as Nick Fury, mm. for goodness sake. And oddly enough, that worked. Mind you, the boys have Simon Pegg in there in some way, but the, the boys that's for an entirely different reason. Actually, that is also partially a movie pitch. Mm. Garth Ennis is never getting any of his work adapted because it's too graphic. <laughs> Literally, as a graphic novel, it's too graphic. We've gone on a tangent, I'm afraid, listener, as per usual, but you might be also be able to guess that there's not that much in the world of book news, so we're just talking nonsense. And actually, it's Why a movie. Why is it so quiet this week in book news? It's not so hard as a. Um, a, a, a it's not so hard a, t- a tangent. We were talking about movie adaptations, so we haven't gone too wildly off track. It's, it's February, everyone's reading. There's been loads of new releases, lots of new stuff has come out. Yeah. We did that actually, we should do, instead of doing news, if it's a slow week, we should just do a book release. Talking of books that have just come out this week, Iron Ghost. Oh, is that out? That is out. We liked that, didn't we? We liked that an awful lot. Also, The Death House. Um, came out. Came out last week, and oddly enough, what also came out last week was Guns of the Dawn by Adrian Tchaikovsky. Hey, Ooh. we could talk about that after these messages. FabRadioInternational.com Starburst Magazine Starburst Magazine The world's longest running magazine of sci-fi horror and fantasy Get the latest news, features, interviews and reviews from your favourite genre Available from a newsagent near you or download to your iPad today This, this is International. Adrian Tchaikovsky's Guns of the Dawn. If I was being uh, flippant and glib, and when have you ever known me to be flippant and glib, apart from every single time, I would describe it as Pride and Prejudice meets Sharp by the way of magic. It's flintlock fantasy, but more accurately, it's, it's a world in which uh, a prim and proper society lady picks up arms arse. Guns of the Dawn is, is, is a fantasy novel set in a Swedo-Napoleonic world. Now, Adrian Tchaikovsky is better known for Shadows of the Apt. Standard fantasy adventure world that goes yeah, on forever. some steampunk elements and um, a, 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 a nice inventive in, insect There's very motif. much an insect motif to Shadows of the Apt. There is less of a uh, insect motif to Guns of the Dawn, though you could you could describe all the people fighting as ants, but let's not because that becomes a little bit weird. So, especially we, for the ants, we, we focus on uh, Emily Marshwick, who is a, a who is a society lady. She is, you know, she's doing quite well for herself. Imagine, imagine Elizabeth Jet Bennett from Pride and Prejudice, and you're pretty much there. She's not expecting to to have to. Well, ever get her hands dirty? Unfortunately, the neighbouring nation decides to have a revolution and kill its kings. And it kills kings in a not very pleasant way. It's a violent and bloody revolution. And then they have a quick look round and they go, well, we have neighbours and they have a king, let's get rid of that one as well. So they invade and then there is war. The war is not going well. First they come for the sons, then they come for the fathers, then they come for anyone else they can find, and then eventually, the, your nation, your nation needs you, Emily. Your nation needs you, and she has to pick up all arms. Up she steps. Take her brother-in-law, then they take her little brother. Her father's not really able to cope with the, the grim realities of war, and she ends up having to abandon a world which is, you know, full of dancing, 
into a line of red and white to fight for her own nation. Being is that it's not that simple. War is never that simple, and no. there is obvious, obvious deception going on. There is conspiracy going on somewhere in the, la- the the world, and people are being lied to. And Emily finds herself thrust into not so much the limelight, just thrust into affairs. Mm. You know, she's she's a supremely competent, supremely together person who knows what she's doing and you can almost see her as she develops going well this is not what I want but this is the world that I have to deal with right then and then she gets into it and on with it and is very much very much the hero very much a strong female character she's stubborn she's she's one of those characters that just draws you in and it's not because she's you know not because she's brilliant or special it's because she's she's not going to give up and she's just going to keep going right person right place right time kind of character or it's the fact that all the mates keep getting killed and it you know, things get piled up against her, and just you just sit there and you really feel for it. There is ah, so she's getting increasingly incentivized. Uh, pretty much, but it's it's less it's less crude than that, mm. and, and it's that reality is war. Now I'm going to bring it up very briefly. There is a bit in this book where because a lot of horrible things happen to the main character and to her friends. There is a bit in the book which I did not like. I'll not go into it because, well, a Sunday show. Put the book down because I didn't want to throw it, because it's quite a large book. It's 700 pages. If I threw it against something, I would have broken something, possibly the thing myself. Would have got hurt. And I was uh, quite annoyed. Uh, and I was that engaged into the character. It was handled okay as conflict goes. It's a particular conflict that is unique to this sort of... You, know, you can do in this sort of story that you can't do in all sorts of stories. I didn't like. At all. I can see why you might want to do it, but I just didn't see the point. Totally broke the flow for me, and it took me a little bit longer. After that, the, the kind of I lost the pace. Adrian Tchaikovsky does very well on stacking conflict against conflict. There's just a point where he pushes it a little bit too far, and you're just like, yeah, actually, no... So too much for me. Stopped, took a break. Stopped, took a break. Read something else. I actually read *The Lonely Dark*, which I might talk about at some point soon. Which is a fantastic little novella. Really chilled me out, and then went back hmm. uh, and found myself. You know, and then I was back, and then I enjoyed it again. But I just, you know, maybe that says more than me than it says about the author. Yeah, I, I like the world building. I like, you know, the description of the uniforms. I really like the warlocks and the way the warlocks dress and their, their big kind of whaleborn kind of costumes and the fact that they look this kind of superb look. I understand that it's, this is a one-shot. Right. Um, he has said that he might write another one. I'm very happy with it as a standalone. I think it works well as a standalone. Despite all of this kind of Napoleonic style world building and this kind of flintlock fantasy feel to it, and the fact that I was really engaged with the characters and I enjoyed it an awful, awful lot and all the way through, concludes where it needs to. It, it, it does the job. I can't see another. I could see another book in this world, but not with the same characters. Mm. You know, it's Elizabeth Bennet fights Sharp. There are a lot of surprises all the way through. Um, Adrian Tchaikovsky has that kind of that that writing style as well, which just grows on you. I I'm I'm very much more of the sort of I, I like my explosions early on, whereas the fireworks through this are sustained and gentle uh, as we continue. It's a huge book as well. It's uh, to be honest, 
if you're not, if you're the sort of person that likes to to commute when you read, I'd get the e version because then you can just read it in your palm. However, if you're the sort of person who likes a self defence item when you commute, this book is for you. <laughs> very much I so. Yeah, very much so. If you're on the tube and you actually want to get people out of the way, then you know, one in each hand will, will just drop it just by this j- foot. In fairness. Uh, Neil Gaiman's definition of art is anything that you can use to stun a burglar, and uh, by that definition, this is art. <laughs> uh, it really is. If you've not experienced Adrian Tchaikovsky before, start with this. Seriously, it's his best work so far. I- I've read some Shadows of the Apt. I've read some of his short fiction as well. Uh, he wrote a great short story in European Monsters, which again is on Fox Spirit. Graphic story, I believe, that was about basilisks, which I quite enjoyed. There's one in the Nun and Tales of the Nun and Dragon, another Fox Spirit, isn't oh, it? That's, that's a fantastic compilation as well. Uh, he's very good with the short story. I like his short fiction. Uh, when he goes for when he goes for seven hundred pages, he he is also one of those he's one of those compartmentalized writers. I find where it's short bursts that stack upon each other, and I like that as an approach because it means I can put it down quite easily. But I never want to. Hmm. It's enough time for a rest and then back into more action, and enough time to rest and then back into more action. Emily Marshwick is an engaging character. I liked the character. I liked all the, the nonsense that she had to go through and all the problems that she goes through, except for one or two key points that I did not like. I really enjoyed it. And you're happy to... Uh, and she's a character you're happy to root for. For you know, A stubborn, strong character is always going to get me going anyway. One with a large amount of grace and a headstrong approach to life, I'm going to be rooting for very, very early on. Uh, it's, you know... Very, very. I can't imagine any. I can't imagine why anyone wouldn't. To be quite honest, mm. there's also a part of me. I absolutely hate Pride and Prejudice. I think I've gone on record that I'm not a fan. I get Pride and Prejudice. It took me years, but I get Pride and Prejudice. I'm quite happy to see the world of Pride and Prejudice blown up by musket fire. Have you actually read the book? Pride and Prejudice. Yes. About twelve times. Okay, fair enough. Uh, I, I I understand Pride and Prejudice. I don't like it. Did you find zombies added to the world? No. <laughs> Have you read the zombies version? Yes. Okay. Uh, I, I didn't find it. I didn't find it added. I get. I get the interaction. I get the jokes. I appreciate it. It's just not my thing. But on the other hand, I've gone back several times. So you, you might want to tell. You might. You might want to ask. Ask the bears why I keep going back to the woods. Guns of the Dawn. Adrian Tchaikovsky. It's available on tour. It is out now, gentle listener, and you should certainly give it a go. Across the world, 24 hours a day. So, we were lucky enough to talk to a relatively controversial author and creator, Matt Ward. If you're a fan of All Things Games Workshop, you will recognise that name, and some of you will have turned off. Some of you will have turned us up. Um, So, welcome sensible people who have turned us up. Uh, Matt is now an a writer in his own own right, as it were, and he's producing stuff on the through the small press. Uh, we caught up with him to find out about his latest work, and also just to see what he was up to. This is Fab Radio International. 
Matt Ward, welcome to the Bookworm. Hello. What can you tell us about your latest project? <laughs> so, Queen of Eventides, an urban fantasy tale with its roots in English folklore. Um, it concerns a young woman who discovers a fate tied to that of another world, one whose influence over our own rises and fades with mists. It's a story about how good intentions can have terrible consequences and about embracing your true nature. How different is this from your previous work? Warhammer and Warhammer 40,000, they've got they've got a very distinct style that's all their own. Uh, 40k in particular, I'd describe as being almost operatic. Uh, the stuff I tend to write for, for myself leans a lot more towards more personal action-adventure yarns. Unlikely heroes and heroines thrust headlong into unexpected danger. Mystery, mayhem, daring do, that kind of thing. You have a following and plenty of author recognition. Why have you gone the small press route? A lot of the projects I've been working on recently have been things that I've had in my mind for quite some time. And they don't necessarily fall within standard genres, which makes them quite a difficult sell on traditional publishers. So in this particular case, sort of the independent routes through places like Amazon's Smashwords and so on and so forth, it's been a bit of a boon, actually. Where do you draw your inspiration for your world building? Bits and pieces just drift into your brain. You can never really tell where inspiration comes from at any point in your time. It, it just sort of settles in and, and rolls around and molds for a while and then spits back out the other side. The Shadow of the Raven uh, book and the, the world that that was set in was the first time I tried to sit down and actually cohesively build a bit of a, a, a fantasy world. And it had come, come back and forth for years and years and years and years and years until I finally decided that I should sit down and do something about it. I try to be a little bit more organic now and uh, try and design the world as I go. How different is this from your work for Games Workshop? It's always nice to be able to actually have complete control over something obviously sort of why i'm more than 40,000 their collaborative process is more than driven by any individual are you a plotter or are you a sit of the pants kind of guy where do you build your worlds how do you build your work well the, the scribble on the paper that's kind of the thing really because obviously you know ideas are ten and penny i've already talked a little bit about what can set some of those things off um if i actually get to the point where i've written something down on the page that normally means it's it's it might not be a good idea yet, but it's going to get there at some point. So having something like a draft synopsis or some notes about a, a bit of the world or a character, that's always a fantastic start. But from but from that point, it could be ages before I do anything with the idea. Queen of Eventide was bobbing around for at least a couple of years before I did anything with it, in fact. I had loads of the pieces for ages, um, things like even things like character names, and they really don't come at all easily to me. It's, I find names very, very strange because sometimes you have to live with them for weeks or months before they start to feel natural, even if they're quite straightforward. And I just have to let it all tick over in my mind until the actual story started to come together for it. Would you ever return to franchise work? Would you return, say, to the world of Warhammer? Um, I never say never about anything. I think it's it's an odd one because... Because I spent so long working for Games Watch, I don't really think of it as being franchise or time work because that was my job. It's, it's quite, that's quite different to actually the freelance life, essentially, where you can be working for lots of different people in lots of different franchises. And I think, yeah, the option's always there and the opportunity's always there. Some of your work for Games Workshop was quite divisive and you became an internet meme of sorts. How have you coped with that going forward? It's always interesting, I think, it's because the old saying is absolutely true in this case. You can't please all the people all the time. And it's, that's particularly true these days where it's kind of become a convention to either love something completely or hate it with a desperate, fiery passion. And there's not a lot of neutral ground in between. People either love what you do or they hate it most of the time. Obviously, 
it makes people a lot more vocal about it. And I think I think that's great because I think the worst thing in the world you can do is something that no one notices, I suppose. Um, because it means that if no one hates it, no one probably likes it either. It'd be lo- it'd be wonderful to make everyone happy. Where would you recommend those new to your work start? I think I'd recommend they start with Queen of Eventide. It's a standalone book. It's not tied into any greater mythology, so it's a great place to start if you're looking to see what I'm up to these days. If you were stuck on a desert island with only one book for company, what would that book be? Oh, that's always a difficult one. The standard answer to something like this, the answer people are probably expect me to give is probably Lord of the Rings. Uh, but I don't think it would be that. I think I've read it too often. I think I'd want something. I'd want something with lots of rereadability. I think if if I had to pick at pick at this point, I would you I would go for the Icarus Hunt by Timothy Zahn. If you were ever lucky enough to get your hands on the Star Wars franchise, what changes would you make? I think the one thing that if there was there's one character that I think the franchise absolutely shouldn't lose as a result of the recent changes in it, I'd have to say that it would be Grand Admiral Thrawn and I'd make sure he was in it. If I was being selfish, I'd keep Talon Card around because he's my favourite. What advice would you give to a 16-year-old version of yourself? Oh, that one's easy. Drop the science air levels and take the English ones instead because you're going to like words a lot more than you like numbers. Simpsons or Futurama? Futurama. Elves or Ultramarines? Elves. Truth or beauty? Beauty. Matt Ward, thank you very much for your time. Thank you. I listen to fanradiointernational.com. Poor Cornell's The Severed Streets, part two of the Shadow Police series. Some of you may remember I did a while back the first part, which is London Falling. This is where we pick up from there. A uh, little time has passed. The team themselves have have uh, managed to get themselves settled in a in a way, but uh, are facing issues a um, a standard police force. Uh, could be seen to be facing now and and more besides deal, given that they are some of the only people in London uh, equipped to deal with the massive supernatural threat that lives there due to their acquisition of uh, uh, of the site allowing them to see what is really going on in some things it's uh, it's not necessarily a new device but actually when you're uh, when you are dealing with supernatural elements you're gonna. You need somebody with that uh, that little extra edge just to just to give them half a chance, which is good because it's actually the only real edge that they get. Other than that, they are perfectly breakable human beings dealing in a an environment that will uh, happily break them at any possible opportunity. It's almost a theme of this, in fact, because it, it it is it is far from just physical challenges that they that they deal with. Uh, with a bit of uh, with a bit of the blurb here, desperate to find a case to justify the team's existence, with budget cuts and a police strike on the horizon, Quill, that's Di Quill, thinks he's struck gold when a cabinet minister is murdered by an assailant who wasn't seen getting in or out of his limo. A second murder, that of the commissioner of the Metropolitan Police, presents the crime scene with a message identical to that left by the original Jack the Ripper. Now this all happens really quite quickly in the uh, in the story. Uh, certainly, the first chapter uh, first chapter hits um, deals with the minister, and the rest happens within the, within the next two. So of course, 
at this point the readers the readers sitting there quite um, quite justifiably sit, um, are wondering the Cornell has uh, thrown Jack the Ripper in as a as an antagonist obviously it gets a bit more complicated than that quite aside from that the uh, next part of this blurb the new Ripper seems to have changed the uh, mo of the old completely he's only killing rich white men which as you know uh, th- those of you who uh, have followed Jack the Ripper it's a uh, a very, very different spin on it. Now, the inquiry into what just what this supernatural menace is takes Quill and his team into the corridors of power at Whitehall to meetings with MI5, or the funny people as the Met call them, and into the London occult underworld. They go undercover to a pub with a regular evening that caters to that clientele and to an auction of objects of power at the Tate Modern. Meanwhile, the Ripper keeps on killing, and finally the pattern of those killings gives Quill's team clues towards who's really doing this. That is the setup and the adventure that they uh, that they find themselves uh, having having to face. What we do find more with this story as well, because we've had time to uh, in London Falling to set up the premise of the London that they are dealing with. There is more time to delve into the characters themselves and the main Shadow Police team, which is mostly headed by Quill and also has Detective uh, Sergeant Costan and, and Ross. Uh, Ross is a uh, Ross isn't a, a police officer as such, more of um, forensics and, in, uh, and and intelligence, but uh, proved exceptionally handy to them dealing with their first case, that of Nora Losley. When I was talking about relationships, uh, their their t- in particular kind of intertwine and com- uh, it is quite compelling to follow. Isn't there a surprise guest appearance? In this there is. Problem is, I'm not going to tell you who it is because it is a it is a big surprise. Uh, certainly, uh, it is an, it is a name it, it is a name just about anyone who is um, who is familiar with this uh, uh, with this show will likely have heard of. However, what it isn't is a cameo appearance. It's a much bigger part than that. Is he actually a, a character? I mean, like, is a major yes. character? Yes. So, technically speaking, this. Let's call him a famous author who is well known to listeners of the show, and also, how? Firstly, first question because I've not read Severed Streets. Firstly, does does this famous author's equally famous wife appear? No, but he's mentioned, but not by name. Okay, so so half the listeners have worked out who is already. Yep. Is he? Does this mean that this, this character is now actually part of Paul Cannell's canon? Absolutely. So, so technically speaking, given the fact that Paul Cannell has also written Doctor Who. We could we could have a team up, or oh, I have gone on a, a total tangent. We could have a Everything's team up. True Very much so. Uh, if you are on Goodreads, uh, have a look at one of the attached comments to um, <laughs> Ben to Ben Aronovich's, uh, the, the comment that he, uh, that that it's gone on his reading list. Uh, you may find it entertaining. So it is such an unusual because I, I remember it being uh, plugged at the time when the book came out. Uh, it's such an unusual step to make to include another author who is famous as a character. But I suppose it's no different than, say, putting Mick Jagger in there. It's really split readers down the middle, this one, on account of just how um, how important the role is. Whilst not that much in the way of screen time, there is enough and certainly provides the biggest holy crap moment in the book. Okay, that's that's... That is interesting because my understanding was it was just a cameo. It was just like a wave and smile and a kind of a sweet thing. That's what I thought was going to happen. Really not. (laughs) 
I wonder if this will set a precedent. I wonder if we will get you know other novels where uh, famous writers will, will team up. Do are we likely to see Robin Hobb, George Martin, and Neil Gaiman teaming up in? A, a real crime thriller and fighting crime. You never know. What I'm more amused about is the thought of um, uh, is now the thought of said author going. Oh, of course, you realise, Cornell, this means war. <laughs> <laughs> oh, 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 no! Oh, Paul Cornell's lovely, and again, we're trying to avoid spoiling the author. But this particular author is can can be quite dark when when he gets going. You mean exceptionally dark. One of his novels is one of the darkest books I've ever read. Which actually fits him in really nicely for his for, for his part here. Because I may have mentioned before that um, the Shadow Police series is not a bright and fluffy jaunt around London. It is far from it. So how does it compare with Ben Aranovich's Rivers of London? Best comparison I have uh, I, I read recently while looking up on this. Uh, where is... Um, it, it just tickled me. Um, I, I'm paraphrasing here. Whereas Ben Aronovich is more like a supernatural the Bill, the Shadow Police series is more a Quint the Sweeney. Speaking as uh, someone who has written fiction set in London yourself, how is your London compared to Paul Canals? Interesting question. Um, I'm dealing less with the police procedural, although I have discovered over time that... Um, Urban fantasy absolutely um, absolute requires law enforcement procedural at some point because they are the most likely to investigate uh, dangerous goings on. Don't have the thing where London has half descended into hell. Not in the angel way. You can go into pockets and uh, you'll uh, you'll probably find that you'll you'll run into similar levels of trouble. I was at London. I was in London recently, and I would refute that point, but. Let's 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 move swiftly away from that, as uh, as we are a Manchester-based organisation, and the rivalry is kind of obvious. So, would you recommend it? I absolutely would, particularly if you liked London Falling. It is different, uh, and it'll uh, it it'll start you off more quickly. Um, I will warn you: when you get to said spoiler, you will go one way or other on it, and either think it's the most amazing thing in the world, or you will or or or, or rage will. Uh, uh, will hit you. I can't tell you how you're going to react, dear reader, but <laughs> I actually really, really enjoyed it. I will, I, I will, I will tell you that. I think at some point we're going to have to do uh, a London urban urban fantasy because we could do talking about Dream London by Tony Ballantyne as well, which is another recent kind of mythic London, and of course Tom yeah. Pollock series, The City Sun, and also uh, Mike Shevden series as well uh, I've, I've met him at Worldcon and um, I still have uh, 51 nails to get through looking forward to it uh, Severed Streets is uh, and London Falling for that matter is also published by Tor who uh, you may know did Guns of the Dawn Guns of the Dawn is also published by Tor so, Tor, so hello to everyone from Tor right now <laughs> uh, coming up next we'll be talking more about books
Hello, gentlemen, listener. At this point, we normally talk excitedly about all sorts of books and all sorts of things and book-related things. Hey, so, you can check out the links that we've put up on our Tumblr. So at the top of the show, I was talking of Gun- about Guns of the Dawn by Adrian Tchaikovsky. And it's an interesting blend of Pride and Prejudice meets Sharp, even though that's a, a horribly kind of glib way of describing it. I'd read it from that. But you, we could describe Severed Severed Street as the what the Bill meets Cthulhu is that fair? Or is uh, it? I, yeah, the Sweeney meets Cthulhu certainly. It's uh, they they do have that level of um, supernatural flying squad about them. You know what? I've not read that book, but it sounds really cool. I think I'm going to read like the previous one and that one. It sounds very good. I need to warn you as well. It it, it it'll it'll tear your heart out at times. Oh. It's um it, you you just get left it. It's it's well. Um, it, it's well worth reading, but dear God, bleak. Is that elevator <laughs> pitch approach actually quite harmful when it comes to marketing books? Do we think the idea of of just really summarising a novel can that can that actually be a bad idea? Does that raise expectations? Because I, I say Pride and Prejudice meets Sharp, and it's there's much more to it than that. It's kind of it's almost doing it a disservice because there's so many more layers to describing the book. I think yes and no. Actually, yeah, speaking as a tiny known author myself, it can be very handy when somebody's at uh, somebody's at your uh, at your stall or your panel and goes, "Oh yeah, I've read this," and goes uh, and can immediately give somebody a link to uh, to popular culture reference that they can that they can latch onto and, uh, Con- and run with. Conversely, the amount of books that we have that get through onto the bookworm bookshelf that say. Or fans of George R. R. Martin. Yeah, yeah. terrifying yeah. marketing will go. Will um, take things the other way. Oh, you in? If, uh, yeah, this is the new Game of Thrones. If you enjoyed reading this, Game this of Thrones meets Harry Potter by way of Twilight. What? what on earth does that mean? <laughs> Especially when you get through the first few chapters and go, "This really isn't actually." Um, because yeah, as Some, you say, can someone described the the boy of the porcelain blade by Dan Patrick as Harry Potter meets Gormenghast and. My, my expectations were not what I got. Mm, it's a no. great book. I like The Boy of the Porcelain Blade, but it is not Harry Potter meets Gormenghast. See, this is the other thing. Um, whilst it's nice to have... Uh, whilst it's probably a really good in for, for certain uh, authors and um, and film writers to, ha- to, to have that, the other side of it is that, you know... I, I don't want to be the uh, I, I wouldn't say want to be the new George R. R. Martin I'd want to be the uh, I'd want to be the new R. A. Smith it, it's nice having it if you liked this um, if you liked this genre you'll you'll love this you can you can sort way. of see that for somebody whose name isn't well known it's an, it's a way to get the casual reader into oh I liked this thing A therefore the people are telling me I will like this thing B and I thought I will try it because the human resistance to trying new things is immense yeah that's right where it's at it's most useful Uh, it's a curious profession in that your competitors are actually your best adverts sometimes as well it's one of the most frustrating things. I, I used to get very annoyed when people compared Terry Pratchett to Robert Rankin because they're nothing like each other at all. No. They're just both modern humorists. Who, who happen to be writing at about the same time as each other. I had this horrible thing when I started. Uh, I, I've read much more of Rankin than I have Pratchett, I've got to admit. I mean, my Pratchett experience is good omens with Neil Gaiman, that, and I haven't managed to get round to any. Uh, I haven't managed to get round to any more than that. But I, I read quite a bit of Robert Rankin. But it kind of reminds me of the whole Blur Oasis thing that used to happen. It was because the media loves that, don't they? Yeah, 
it's a thing they can yeah. latch onto and um, hopefully polarise. This is the problem with Twitter, isn't it? The problem there are a number of authors that are on Twitter, and there are a lot of writers on Twitter. And honestly, if you're a book fan and you don't use Twitter, we're at Radio Bookworm. You should follow us, but you should you should totally get into Twitter because you'll just find yourself gossiping away with authors. Because if you are a professional writer, you spend procrastination. Well, you spend about eight hours of your time sitting in front of a screen. Yeah. And you need to do something else, and you can't you can't pull yourself away from the screen because then you'll stop writing. You can have a lovely moment where is oh help! I've just got to this scene that I can't really talk about, but <laughs> it's quite familiar with uh, with some of you. What should I do? And Twitter becomes this kind of water cooler, and you see these little water cooler moments where authors will gather very briefly to go, oh yes, we'll talk nonsense for five minutes because that means I don't have to write this chapter. Nonsense, 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 nonsense. And then 15 minutes pass, and top tier authors, mid tier authors, and some bloke who wrote a short story once are all chatting away with each other, and then they all part company. And you know what? Everyone goes away from that happy and with a, with a new approach to what they were going to do. But the thing is also that creates certain sort of Twitter personalities, and some of them are just very stompy and naturally stompy people. Mm. And you get these ridiculous controversies and these ridiculous rivalries between writers. And that always happened. We always had this. East Coast versus West Coast authors. Yeah, it, we always we always what? had this we always had this rivalry going on. Sorry we always had this reference. silliness going on. But it's become much faster now hmm. and, and much more apparent. And I'm not gonna name names because it's pointless, but it really irks me when you just see someone being just randomly rude to someone else or being randomly rude about someone else and it's like stop feuding and start writing uh, you know I, shut up and dance yeah it com- comes down to folk finding it easier to tear uh, tear things down and build them up again but again that goes back to our middle interview yeah um, we were talking to Matt Ward who is a very talented chap he's a lovely bloke by the by and I can always guarantee that a handful of people listening to the show will uh, say horrible things to us about the interview and it's a real shame because he's a very talented chap and he's a very lovely man haters gonna hate as they say to, to coin a phrase a phrase of the moment but yes um, what else is happening in the world of books right now Hugo award nominations are still open they are they, they close they close in March um, it is March oh it is March it is March this is only the. the this is only. <laughs> I the know mo- we've been here a long time today yeah. doing some pre-records. This but is it's only the most it. subtle of subliminal messages you will get, readers. <laughs> However, if you can vote for the Hugo Awards, and you should be aware that you can't actually uh, join Susquehan now and have voting rights. But if you do have a vote and you've enjoyed the show, uh, we are actually we have been nominated by a handful of people. Um, it'd be nice. We don't expect to win, but uh, if you had enjoyed the show, it'd be nice. Um, it would make us grin. But also, I'm going to say, Build a Galactic Hero, the movie by Alex Cox, you should absolutely vote for that in the Hugos because that's amazing. Uh, it's a low-budget movie. It's so low-budget, it begs for change. It's such... It's the spirit of fandom, and I love the book. I love the Build a Galactic Hero, the book. It's It, it, it itself was a parody of Starship Trippers. I completely adored that. The fact that this tiny low-budget movie plays the book straight... And in itself becomes a reflection of the the, the the Starship Troopers movie, 
by being low budget and straight rather than Starship Troopers, which of course is high budget and a parody. It is perfect. It's absolutely fantastic. You can get it for free as well. It's on the internet. Parody comes full circle. But um, these are not subliminal messages. These are actual adverts from us. Vote, please vote. Across the world, twenty-four hours a day. You have been listening to me, Ed Fortune, and... And me, Russ Smith. So it's uh, you can catch us on social media via Twitter at Radio Bookworm. You can also find us on Facebook at Radio Bookworm. You can find us on Tumblr at Radio Bookworm. Mixcloud is Radio Bookworm, and we're on StarburstMagazine.com and FabRadioInternational.com. So... Goodbye and good night. The Bookworm is a truly outrageous production for Fab Radio International and Starburst Magazine. Presented by Ed Fortune and Russ Smith. Produced by A.L. Johnson.